Hi, and welcome to the Ward and Katie Wilsey podcast. I'm Ward Wilsey, and I'm the CFO of HHS, headquartered in the Austin, Texas area. I'm also a former private bank wealth advisor and practicing attorney. And I'm Katie Wilsey, a licensed Texas real estate agent. We live in the Lake Travis area right outside of Austin with our four kids, two dogs, and one cat. We've been through it all with money, broken in debt to debt-free and wealthy. We're continuing to build our wealth and live happier lives. We're here to talk to you about your money, how to earn more, save more, and invest more. We'll talk about the mistakes we've made and how we've learned from them. We'll give you advice on how you can get control of your financial lives, get out of debt, and be on your way to financial success. So buckle up and get ready to take notes because here comes another episode of The The Ward and and Katie Katie Wilsey Podcast. That was a lot better than the first time we did. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. We are changing the name of the podcast from the Austin Real Estate Investor Podcast to the Warden Katie Wilsey Podcast. And you don't tell them why. Yeah, why? Well, the show's morphed into less about Austin real estate, although we still talk a lot about that, and more into just you know general financial advice and. Well, and I mean, kind of that. That sparked from behind the scenes. We're getting questions and text messages and yeah, we don't messages. People asking us maybe a little bit more general advice rather than specific to just Austin. So so there's yeah, it, it just makes sense for us to kind of just be a little, just be out there and open general, and, yeah. and more general. So that's that's what we're doing, and uh, so that's the the new breaking uh, news. Yeah, breaking news. So that's the new intro that. You heard before this that we're going to record after this because we haven't recorded it yet. Yeah. So. Exactly. You'll never hear the old intro again. And then I got to figure out how to update the the graphics and, and all of that stuff. But I'll, I'll figure that out. Maybe you don't have to. Just leave it as the Austin Real Estate Investor. Oh, it says that on our picture? Yeah, and I got to change the name yeah. so it feeds differently. So I'll figure that out. Maybe one of our kids knows how to do that better Probably. than us. Probably. So what are we going to talk about today, Ward? All right. We're going to talk about budgeting and how we oh. do it. And, oh, wait, you don't like budgeting? <laughs> I like the end result. I really, it's like cringeworthy, the process. Why? Because this is important because people are emotionally, emotionally opposed oh, yeah. to budgeting. And it's more like, because it, it doesn't. It doesn't even take that long. Like we spend. It's like gut wrenching, painful for me. Why? Um, Tell me about your childhood. I know the, the psychology behind this is interesting. I don't. I don't know. It's just like oh, because I guess what it is. It's like yeah, I know I spent too much there. I don't need to see it on paper. Yeah. That like feeling. So um, even just recently, I was in a. Like a seminar type thing, and the guy behind we were all talking about budgeting and and how we do our finances. And I mentioned uh, that we do the envelope system and blah blah blah. Well, he was like, "I wish my girlfriend would do it." She refuses to go to the Dave Ramsey like seminar on um, I'm blanking on the name of it, but anyways. And I I sat there and said, "Tell tell her I was the same way." What made you eventually want to go? Like, we had no other choice. It really felt like we were, like, drowning. Right. 
So there was this, like, I think I stuck my hand up because I was going to drown type of feeling. Yeah. Um, and not nearly as bad as probably some people, but it didn't matter. That was our threshold. We were, we hit it. Um, but even today, like, I mean, we were talking about budgeting cause we just re ran. I mean, we, we pay everything in cash with the exception of our mortgages. Um, but we, we can still get frivolous with our cash. If we're not careful. And I think Dave Ramsey recommends that you do this probably bi-monthly. Um, we haven't done it in what, maybe a year. Yeah. Well, we always are budgeting because we just pull out cash. So right. There is a budget, but, but now I mean, we've sit we've down re- and like redefine it. Cause I mean, to be perfectly honest, we, I mean, we have three growing teenage boys that eat a lot. So what our grocery bill looked like when we created this two years ago is a lot different than what it is today. Right. Um, and other things as well. So like our, our sports have gone down because now they're playing sports in school, you know, so things just kind of ebb and flow. Our dry cleaning bill has gone down now that you're not wearing a suit every day to work. Gas, um, gas has gone down. Gas has gone down because gas is $1.99 here and you work in seven miles from here. So anyways, it just makes me uncomfortable because it just, I don't, I, I really don't know why. It wasn't like as a kid, I had a dollar bill hanging over my head or anything. It just, it's an uncomfortable process because, and usually it's because I know that I am, Guilty of overspending. Well, everyone's guilty of overspending. I know, but it just still feels crappy. And then to have it sitting there in front of you, and it it feels it's uncomfortable. It's like you're getting beat beat with the budget stick. <laughs> totally. But then afterwards, I'm like, okay, I'm glad that's over with. Like, there's this weird relief or release, if you will. And so, yeah, afterwards, it feels like okay, we're back on track again, and. It's almost like the permission, you start to spiral, like even with the online grocery ordering, like it just was like, well, he hasn't told me I can't, so I'm just going to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And all of a sudden I haven't done it in a week because we took it out of the budget and I'm surviving. Imagine that. That's, that's so. And I know that that's a frivolous thing. I was allowed, I was granting myself that frivolous thing. I made excuses of why that. I justified that. Right. Um, and now I realize that, well, I could still continue to justify that, but that removes something else that I'd much rather have. Right. So my day job, I'm the CFO of a, a company in the, in the Austin area. And so I always, one of my philosophies is you don't manage what you don't measure. So we get super granular, but we have a lot of accountants and finance people to, to do all this. But anything like that we want to make sure that we're staying on track for, we manage, we budget, we, you know, make sure that people are staying on budget because those are ultimately dollars that drop to the bottom line and a family is no different. You have income coming in just like a business. You have expenses going out just like a business and what you keep at the bottom line each month is your savings that is able to build you equity through investments. And, and eventually those investments will create income where you won't have to work anymore. 
And that's, right. and that's the way, that's the way life works. But if, if we don't track it and we don't manage it, then we're just going to have stuff seeping out. Sure. Out I, yeah, I agree. And I think even the planning for it is nice too, because like we want to put it in a pool. I want to get the house painted. We want to expand the driveway. Well, now we have a plan in place so to do let, these let's, things. Let's talk about the pool because basically we, we kind of gone, we're paying cash for a pool. So we're saving up for it, but we kind of got are expensive in Texas. By the way. Yeah. We kind of got stagnant in our savings. So we took a look at it and we said, okay, well, if we want to get the pool in a reasonable amount of time, we've got to save you know, a couple thousand a month for it. Yeah. And so what we, we put that in our budget and then we built around it and we said, okay, if we're going to do the 2000 a month, we have to make sure there's a 2000 a month gap, including, you know, and that's on top of, you know, our normal savings, you know, giving to the church, like all that stuff. So it's got to go in there and we've got to see our other numbers go down to accommodate that. Right. So, so do I want the grocery delivery or do I want a new pool in our backyard? Right. And that's what's eating from it is all those little things there. So it's good. It's we're being on track feels good. I think also the more you can remove the emotional, especially for the person that isn't uncomfortable. So something you did when we were sitting there discussing the budget at one point you had said something along the lines of like um i mean just like at work if the numbers don't match we can't like make it work or something so simple like something so unemotional it is what it is probably because i always say that yes and it it yeah so that was like okay so this isn't about katie you've spent too much or katie you can't spend anymore it's just about like let's dump it all on the table. How much do we spend at on Amazon or shopping, whatever? And now let's divide that amongst our assets coming, in, you know, like or income. And let's have a plan for it. And let's have a plan. So just the more you can make it unemotional and less personal, it, it I think it helps. Sure. Because it, it feels so personal. It feels almost like, oh, he's going to tell me that there's a noose on my cash and I can't go buy that new top you, that I You're going to get hit with the budget stick. <laughs> so budgeting's not so bad. I dread it, but it's not so bad. All right. Should we talk about how to do it and like what people listening can do today? Sure. So budgeting, there's a number of softwares that, that do it. So the most famous is Quicken. And one mistake you can make is QuickBooks is really designed for businesses and it's very difficult to do budgeting through QuickBooks. Quicken is a personal finance software. That's the most famous. You pay, you pay a monthly fee for it. Don't quote me, but it's like 10 bucks a month or something like that. But we actually switched to a software called Tiller. And the reason I switched to it is it's actually um, Google Sheets based. So it's in our Google Drive and either of us can access it. And what's cool about it is it automatically, well, just like Quicken or any software you would want to get, 
it automatically updates to your bank account. So you don't have to like get your bank account statements and enter it in line item by line item. They're all there. And so- all right, podcast, it's Ward here. You know you need an estate plan, but you don't know the first thing about them. What should you look for? Do you need a trust? Do you need an attorney? If you're serious about protecting your loved ones, if something were to happen to you, then you need to read my book, Estate Planning That Works, a practical guide for protecting your wealth for generations. This book will teach you about trusts, why you need a trust, what type of trust you need, and how to plan effectively. It will also show you how to protect your spouse and family against creditors, divorce, and bankruptcy. It's available right now on Kindle at Amazon.com. Search for Estate Planning That Works, a practical guide for protecting your wealth for generations. Available for just $9.99. Get it and protect your family today. All right, back to the podcast. So I just need to make sure I note what category everything's in. And then you can see the categories and that way you can track your spending. And so each month we go to our categories and we say, okay, here's how much we're going to, here's how much we're going to spend. Well, first we show here's how much we're going to make and that'd be my paycheck. And then we estimate what you're going to bring in from real estate. Well, and uh, so I'm backing up a little bit here. I don't know why I just because you're shaking your head at me because you think it's boring, but people need to know people need to know yeah, like how they can get it the is software. boring. But I also kind of went back to like I don't think I stressed it enough, like the the guy's role because I'm I'm gonna generalize here. It's typically the guy that wants to budget and the girl that doesn't. Right? I realize that is not always the case. So sexist, sorry, um, but let's just say because I have. Plenty of girlfriends that are very busy moms and probably have a hefty Nordstrom bill every month. So if the husband could every take month. the... Every <laughs> month? Really? You can't like skip it a month? Maybe. Maybe they switch to Revolve or Nordstrom, Neiman's. I don't oh, know. Um, but I, I mean... Maybe they should switch to okay. Goodwill. So what I'm trying to get across is... If you know that your wife or spouse, husband, spends, because you can see it in your little quick book things you were just talking about, that she she or he spends, say, $1,000 a month on clothes, right? Yeah. You don't go to her and say, you're not going to spend $1,000 a month anymore. Yes. Right. You're right. gonna say, here's what, if what I, we spend, right? Like you're gonna. Well, lay, for, for, first you're gonna lay is, Here's out. what we spend, right? So now let's look at it all, and then let's assume it fits into the budget still, and that you're not in credit card debt for that seven hundred dollars a month. Let's assume it's a cash scenario where they're just excessively spending the cash in that pocket and under giving to somewhere else, right? Okay. My recommendation would be to say to her, because this is this was very freeing for me in the very beginning of the envelope system, was here's $400 every two weeks of like free money. Yes. Or like my haircuts, my hair color, it's not cheap, but we put in a set amount every two weeks into that envelope. So if I knew I had a hair appointment, I would stay conservative in my hair cuts for the first two weeks so that I had money roll over into the next one. Um, so it kind of, it made me on board, I guess. You need, what you're saying is you need, each spouse needs a set dollar amount of kind of that blow money that's 
that's yeah, what, I mean, and if if she or he is really spending eight hundred dollars every month at Nordstrom, you think she's just going to stop? Probably not. So how do you figure out a way to like? slow it down and get her on board. So you, yeah, you don't need to talk about the Nordstrom. You need to talk about like, here's our income. Here's what we spend. How do we want to set this up? Right. And now if it works here, guess what? You get $800 a month at wherever you want. But you would probably say, you would probably come to the conclusion. Oh, I need to, I need to do 400 at Nordstrom because that's Hopefully. what works. And maybe, and, you know, if that's or maybe 800 works or maybe it's, maybe it's a thousand because you cut other wear. Like, I don't know. Right. Like, you, you but, figure that out. But that's my, my point of this all is like not saying there's a saying you spend too much here. It's like, let's just dump it all out. Let's yes. just look where it is. And now as a team, let's prioritize where we want these funds going what vacations we think we want to do down the road, what upgrades we want to do to the house, what are our dreams. So how do we then fit those into all of this and then hopefully have fringe and play money on the side too. Right. So um, I just wanted to kind of get that across because I feel like I know a lot of my girlfriends that probably spend a hefty amount of money every month. They can afford, their families can afford to, but... But at the same time, they feel guilty and they're not getting ahead. Like you're maybe they're not getting ahead. Maybe they are. I don't know. But either way, they're feeling guilty because and and there's probably creating animosity between the spouses. That's exactly right. So just open that door up and maybe you still have that much to spend or more. Like who knows? Oftentimes, oftentimes Oftentimes if you like, because our, our thing was like just getting the Instacart out there and and showing like, okay, here's how much we're spending. And, and like, granted, Instacart's food, right? So you, you got to buy food. But there is a premium that you spend there. The groceries are more expensive and I'm paying a delivery and I'm tipping. Like, so I realized that that is a luxury item that right. I was a... I was allowing myself. And it's just, it's just if you, if you then, if you then look at that and you set goals for how much you want to spend... You can put other goals in there that are more important. For us right now, it's the pool. We have the savings that we do every month. And we control we, we control all of that. So yeah. we just need to, like, you know, focus on a budget and staying with it. So, so getting back to the software, whatever one you use, what you're going to do is set up your categories. And what's, what's, what's changed in personal finance over the last few years, I think, is, you know, it used to be you would just say... You know, you could just do cash. You would do, okay, here's what we do in electric, you know, water, phone, all that. But we actually, for the first time this year, set up categories for Amazon, Venmo, and, like all of our, and Instacart. Yeah, and, like our and, top spending places. Because, and, and here's why, like, you know, Amazon, you buy so many different things that it almost becomes like cash. And if you, if you don't, I mean, you have two options. You can either go into your Amazon account and list everything you're buying and categorize it, which would take forever. Or you can just say, okay, here's how much we're going to spend in Amazon this month. Here's how much we're going to spend yeah. in cash. Here's how much we're going to do in Instacart. And that way, it would like, be wise though at some point to then break that down because yeah. I, probably 50% of my Amazon purchases are grocery. And then the other 50... Through Amazon? Oh, yeah. I buy, like, bulk food oh, and stuff. and, like, snacks and stuff. Snacks or paper towels, uh, 
dog food. I don't, yeah. well, don't want to go get dog food. I you know, what dogs. I wonder, and I'd have to find out, but I bet eventually, like, the Quick End or Tiller will just do a direct feed from your Amazon account so you can... So you can class. Actually, Amazon doesn't want you to do that because then you're going to spend less. Yeah. Like so, that'll never happen. But but people should people should demand. You it. should break that down, though. I think at some point because yeah. then you can see like, whoa, we're giving ourselves cash for this much in grocery, but we're also spending this much in grocery right. online. Yeah, so, we need to cut it in general. Did I just tell you to like control our budget even more? Yes, I think you did. <laughs> so. Anyway, like, but, but what you do is you lay out the year and you, we estimate our income and, and then obviously every month it changes. So, make it so, so there's, there's half the people listening who are interested and only the other half are doing what you're doing right now. Like sticking your you finger say, down your throat. Go get a software and... Because people don't know how to do it. They would get the software and go, oh, what do I do now? Like, Babe, I, would think, you, you're, if, if, I think you're underestimating our, if, our listeners. If I if I put you in front of the computer and told you to I go could, buy a software and go do our budget, you'd be able to do it. Yes. It would not be nearly as clean as you, but I could do it. You could do it. And but trial and error. But, but I, all I'm doing is making it easier for people who are listening okay. anyway. Bullet points. Okay. Too many details. Take take your categories and list them out. And you'll get your feed from your bank. And that'll put in your mind like what categories you need. Like different bills and stuff like that. And then you lay it out for the year. And then you set, okay, here's how much we spend in gas per month. Here's how much we spend in water. Here's how much we spend on our cell phone. Uh, cash. All that. And then you go ahead and lay that out. And then each month you got up meet with the two of you and say, okay, what are we going to spend this month on these things? And you but set let, your budget. Let's be honest about that. Like we don't do it every month. Well, we're, we're, we're working on doing that. <laughs> and we will, I would say it'd be very advantageous to meet the next two months to see the progress. It's exciting at first. Well, actually we got to go, we got to do quick weekly updates so we can see where we're at in a month. Ugh. It'll take 10 minutes. So he likes doing this. Most family, most people don't like doing this. I, you don't need to. I think in the beginning, it's really important to, well, baby, to meet quickly. You have to. You have to know, like, okay, if if this month we're trending over on Amazon, we have to slow it down or cut somewhere else. Yeah. Or else we're going to miss budget. I know. Just. I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will meet this week. And yes, discuss. this weekend. <laughs> okay. All right. What so, else are we going to talk about? All right. So the are we done on the... the we're, we're done on budgeting okay. for now. Next topic is... Let's let's go current events. So the stock market went down 10% in the last couple of weeks because of the coronavirus. Should we buy or should we sell? Just stay the long haul. Yes. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. But here's but here's the deal. You should buy if you have extra cash. The stock market isn't so. The, so yeah, but again, buy with the intention of holding. Yeah, right. I mean, look, the S and P five hundred, like we talked about in the prior episode, is the five hundred largest companies in America. They didn't suddenly get ten percent. They they didn't suddenly become ten percent lower in value. There was just this scare because of the coronavirus. These scares happen all the time. And every time one happens, if you just 
throw some more money into your into your investment account and buy more shares of the S&P 500, you will go ahead and you will make a lot of money. It's just the stock market is on sale when it goes down 10% like this. Right. It's going to come back up. It always does. And it's silly. And the worst thing you could possibly do is when something like this happens, sell your stocks and go to cash. Like that is the worst thing you could possibly do. If you want to buy more, that's a great strategy. But the worst thing you can possibly do when the stock market goes down. I know. What if is this sell. is all like massive conspiracy? Like let's create a disease. Let's create like. Sounds like a James Bond movie. Pandemonia. People sell. People are buying retail like crazy. We drop the Federal Reserve rates. Like right? It's, yeah. It is kind of crazy. Well, I mean, let's not get political though. What's going to happen is the the virus is going to blow over. The Fed's lowered. Lowered interest rates, and there's going to be more money flushing the system, and stocks are going to go back up. Like, it always happens, and this is just another example of it. So, if you're listening out there and you're thinking about, should I sell my stocks? The answer is no. You should be buying, because it's on sale right now. Yeah. Um, Okay, I have a question from someone. Question from a listener. Let's see if I can pull it up swiftly. Um, I am on a... Website. I got it here. You want I me have it too. Um, a website that it, it's like an investor's website. People are always asking questions, and I am always basically going upstream, opposite direction of everybody else. What does everyone say? <clears throat> everyone is rates are down. Get another mortgage. Buy another property. Oh, you can save a hundred dollars. Refinance. Um, take on more debt. Take on more debt. Take on more debt. And. Um, I find that I'm always taking the more conservative route. Like I want to sleep at night. So I would rather use that extra money and snowball and pay down that, that mortgage, not, not necessarily refinance unless it's a long haul. So similar thing. Um, so one gentleman in particular likes my approach and constantly is asking questions. And here was his question. Uh, I'm going to summarize it real quick. He's got a rental property that cash flows $340 a month right now. If he refinances, which this was already a week and a half ago, so maybe the refinance rate is even better now. But if he refinances, it would be $495. So that's, let's call it $150 extra dollars a month um, with low maintenance, blah, blah, blah. He has $45K in equity. And is asking multiple times, do I do a refi and continue to rent this out or do I sell it and 1031 it and get a fourplex? Yeah. I think he's, he's looking to go up the next step. All right. So there's a lot of, a lot of questions questions there. there. So the, the refinance one, I think you and I are on the same board with this at $150 extra cash flow. That's nice. Right. Um, cost to refi about five grand. Right. So what we don't know in that is how long, how many months will it take him to remake, to make up his costs of refinancing? Well, you do in the sense of that hundred. So divide 150 into, uh, let's see, 5k. 5, yeah. Divided by 150. Theoretically, it would take him 33 months. Okay, so basically a little under three years. To get that back. 
So he's got to make a decision about, okay, am I holding this property for three years? If, if you're just, if you're buying your properties and you're going to keep them forever, like that's, that's totally fine. Right. And you know, for the most part, that's, that's what we're planning on doing. But if, if there's a chance you're going to sell the property in the next two years. Then hard now. Right. Cause it, you'd end up, you'd end up spending too much money. Right. So what a lot of people do is they, they try and refi every time rates go down to increase their their uh, their monthly cash flow. But what they're doing on the back end is they're just incurring these fees that they're basically adding fees into their mortgage. They're making their mortgage artificially larger. Right. So even though they're getting cash flow now, they're putting more debt on the property in the long run. So right. That's just kind of problematic. I mean, you, so you got to do an analysis of. Okay, if I refi, how long is it going to take me to make up those costs? You know, and if it's your personal home, same deal, right? If, yeah. if it takes you three years and you're going to live in the house at least five, then it probably makes sense because you're getting more cash every month yeah. and, and you'll make it up over five years. When he's asking about the 45K, he mentions also that he's got 45K in equity in the house. So I wonder if he's thinking. I could pull that out and buy something else and buy something else. So yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. You and I wouldn't do that. I can see the allure there because now he's thinking if I put 45 down on a, you know, $180,000 property and I'm making $200 a month again, you're just, so you're exposing yourself to a lot of risk. You And, and, and what risk means is like, you know, people don't already don't remember like, Back the last real estate, you know, run up like two thousand seven, say two thousand two to two thousand seven. Like the same thing was going on as people are doing now. They were refining. Back then, you could refi like a hundred percent, pull it out. People were pulling it out and buying other properties, and pulling it out and buying other properties. And what happened was, everyone who did that, for the most part, once the crash happened, banks stopped lending. People couldn't couldn't refinance anymore and all these quote unquote investor properties went into foreclosure. So like all this stuff mathematically makes sense until there's a major recession and then people are caught with, you know, swimming with their pants down and the tide goes out and you, you're going to, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So I, I think people just need a lot more patience and to sit there and say, okay, here's how much I'm saving per month. I'm going to keep paying down my mortgage. That's investing. That's equity. And just we're going to buy another house when we can afford it. Right. So save that $340 of passive income that you're getting. Yeah. And until you can afford to purchase another property, right. you don't. Like we, save, like we save, you know, every month plus like bonuses and stuff like that. And sometimes your commissions. And then eventually... You know, between that and our monthly cash flow, we have enough where we can go buy another house. And right now, we're actually working on paying off de- debt on our mortgages. They they all cash flow; we're not losing. But it's just, I, I think when you go slower, every time you pay down a mortgage, you're you are getting more cash flow. You know, because there's 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 less of a of a of a pay down. Even if you don't, even if you have to keep making the same mortgage payment by building equity, you'll eventually create a larger cash flow, whether it's now or later. So it always makes sense to, I think, to do that. And people just need to be more patient and you don't need a new home every, 
a new rental property every two months, like, you know, one a year, one every two years, if that's what you can do is totally fine. Well, and he talks about like, um, he mentions in here, he says, you know, basically all his friends are telling him you should only invest in your 401k. And we've talked about this before too, where well, 401ks are great. You should, you should, as long as you're being matched, yeah. you should. Right. Well, if his company matches up to like 6%, right. which that, again, so back to when we said this last time, if your company matches your 401k and you, you're making a hundred thousand and you put 6% of your salary in there and they match that, you put in 6,000 and they put in six. That's a hundred percent return in one year. There's right. no better investment. Right. So he should continue doing that. His friends are right there. And then and the then excess. The excess and saving towards more properties. He talks about also, should I, you know, go into a fourplex? And yes, but no. Like I think he owns one real estate, one piece of real estate aside from assume maybe his own home. I would. I would not recommend going into a fourplex right away because of not just the risk, but it's more work. It's more of a headache. And if he does have a full-time job, like he's referencing, and maybe a family or anything else, then, yeah, you are increasing your low workload. You, yeah. I mean, you can hire a manager, but you know, property and managers, are still your, work involved. Yeah. And it eats into your profits. Right. You sneeze uh, Excuse me. Bless you. Um... Okay, one other question that he asked was, what is your search criteria, purchase criteria for your single family residence? And are you doing... So before, before we get into that, let's okay. talk like single family residences versus like fourplexes and, and multifamily. Because you said you said it's, it's more to manage. And that's true. The advantage of it theoretically is for each of those units you're getting, you're paying less because it's packaged into one, one house. But you're right. Like now you have four properties and you got to think about, you know, you're probably not going to want to manage that yourself unless it's right down the street. And, you know, let's let's really simplify. It's like you go from one kid to twins or you have quadruplets. quadruplets. So it means you're changing four diapers at once. Theoretically, you could. And and the metaphor applies because, you know, you're going to have tenants who vacate. You're going to have tenants who cause problems. You know, so and maybe all at once, but maybe one at a time, and it might feel like a game of whack-a-mole, where just when you get one down, another one pops up. So, and if you own the fourplex free and clear, like that's not a big deal. Or if you're paying it down rapidly, it's probably not a big deal. But if you're going to sit there and tell me, you know, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, ten percent down, buy a fourplex, and oh, it cash flows twenty bucks per month. Well eventually someone's going to leave and you're going to be having to put money into it or there's going to be a repair or something like that. Like if you're going to do a fourplex or multifamily, you want to really think before you get into that. I, you know, back when I was a, a advisor at Wells Fargo, I had a lot of clients who, you know, did fourplexes, apartments, all that stuff. And the ones who were the most financially well off and the most comfortable with it were the ones who had worked over time to having mainly equity in it or, or having them free and clear. Yeah. Those are the ones who, who sleep the best. You know, one other perk though to it would be, um, we have, I have a client that owns so much real estate that he has a really hard time getting loans now. Yeah. So theoretically what he could do is sell four of his mortgages, four of his properties, get rid of four of his mortgages and go buy one fourplex 
Right. And now he only has one mortgage, but he got four properties. So that frees up three more mortgages. Right. So there, there's, um, there are benefits to it. Absolutely. I don't think most of our listeners are in that situation. Most people are not in that situation. Right. But. I mean, look, there's there's benefits to it, yeah. but the, but there's also a lot of work and a lot of ri- a lot more risk. So if you're going to take on that risk, we seem to um, attract the everyday investor. Yeah. So we we tend and we are the everyday investor. Yeah, the everyday so investor. We tend to stay on a little bit more of a conservative route. Is what I'm kind of. Getting yeah, I mean, you don't want to have we're to work. We're not flipping. We're you, not look like if you're if if you're make no mistake. Like whatever you're investing in, there's going to be you're going to worry about it. Like because if you're in stocks, the stock market's going to go down like it just did. If you're in real estate, you're going to have tenants leave. So you want to reduce your risk, but at the same time, you got to get an adequate return. You know, just because the stock market goes down doesn't mean you should be in all cash. Cash doesn't earn anything. You're not going to get anywhere. Right. You know, just because tenants leave doesn't mean you shouldn't invest in real estate, but you should, you know, not have a huge mortgage on there to where you're going to have to be cash flowing it if your tenants, if your tenants leave, you know, yeah. you got to be able to afford it. Um, so that's what we mean by, you know, reducing risk and all that. We don't mean you shouldn't invest in real estate or stocks. You should, but you got to, you, you can't leave yourself hanging on there and not be able to cover yourself. Right. And so now tying into what do we look for? It, I mean, it really, this is again, a we, we kind of stay pretty conservative with that in the sense that we look at three bedroom, two bath, two bath, it's single, the massive, family. single, single floor, ideally too. all three of our, our properties are one story properties. Yeah. It's, hmm. You're you're tracking the masses with right. that, right? Everyone can live in a single story house. Right. Some people want to live in a two story, but everyone can. Right. Not everyone can live in a two story house. Yeah, because people can't make it upstairs. So you just cut out maybe ten, fifteen, depending on like if you're in certain parts of Florida, maybe you cut out twenty five percent of your renters. Yeah. So to me, the most the safest bet is Single story, three bedroom, two bath. Right. A family with many kids can fit in that because they can bunk bed. Right. Two bedrooms gets tricky to put more than two kids in a bedroom. So if you have a family with three kids, all of a sudden that gets tight. Um, So we've just found that. Not to say, I mean, I was literally just looking at a two bedroom that was priced really well. Right. So I, I I would consider it at the right price. But for us right now, I know that in some states you can find much cheaper real estate right now. What our sweet spot is three, two single story, one ninety to two fifteen range is our sweet yes. spot. We like that 20, we can afford 25% down on those all day long. The rent is cash flowing three to $600 depending on which property it is. Right. Um, and we know that area is appreciating. There's a ton of growth going on there. So already it's appreciated in a year right. significantly. So um, that's our criteria. That's what we look although, at. Although, <laughs> so we have three and we are paying them down now. So we're going to chill out on and maybe just do one a year so we can pay pay them down and get them more to like be paid off of 
quickly, but also get them down to at least like 50%. So we yeah. So what we're going to try to do there is the snowball effect kind of, yeah. and we're going to take all of our bonus money that we would have purchased a new one with, throw it at one of the mortgages, the one that has the least debt on it. Yep. Pay that one off, take that mortgage and our next bonus is pay off the next one. Yep. And continuously do that until they're all debt free yep. and then we'll go and purchase another rental property. Yeah. I just think that, um, I don't think the bubble's going to pop soon yet in Austin, right? but we know that it will at some point yeah, just because it, of not history. Getting, the, the deals aren't quite as good as they used to be. So it just feels like a good time. Well, we're kind of buying at a higher end. Yeah, so it's still going up, but it's just for now. Yeah. But, but it's, it's just a good idea to, to take up, take out some risk out by paying down those mortgages. Yeah. That's just how we are though. So, um, yeah, I think we covered a lot today. Yep. We, um, hit the budget stick. We talked, stock market we talked real estate yeah answered some questions and announced that we have a new name coming yep i found this out about five minutes before you guys so (laughs) good stuff good stuff okay have a good weekend everyone